0: Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Mark Etheridge. We are post-Thanksgiving. We have fought off the tryptophan haze that really, I mean, even before you eat the turkey, let's be honest, Thanksgiving week is kind of like a a little bit of a, you're in a daze that week, you know, it's, it's slow. Like even, you know, you know, you, whether you have a desk job, whether you have one of our jobs, like that, that Thanksgiving week is always just kind of wonky and weird and slow. And, you know, then Thanksgiving comes and you're you're watching football. And then you know, it, it's just that week kind of disappears. So we're working our way out of it. And we're going to get back to business here this week. We are going to talk about, first off, um, Mark's piece that I would encourage you to read if you have not yet read it on hypothetical SEC tournament scenarios. Uh, you may have heard the SEC is expanding to 16 teams starting in the 2025 season with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league. And that has some implications for the SEC tournament. So he wrote that piece with some, some hypothetical formats. So read that. If you have not read it yet, pause, go mm-hmm. read it, and then come back to us. Cause we're going to talk about some of those scenarios and it might help if you have looked at those before. So you'll know what we're referring to there. We're also going to talk a little about Mississippi state as a club Mark and I both wrote about them recently. The fall report from Mississippi State just came out. Mark also wrote a piece uh, really focused on the pitching side of it, because let's be honest, that's where they're they're going to make their bones next year, if they're going to be better than they were last year. So we will dive into the Bulldogs a little bit on this episode as well. But before we get to any of that, I have to let you know that this episode of Howie to Hoover and every episode of Howie to Hoover is brought to you by Pitch Logic. The system used by players, coaches, scouts, and instructors at all levels of play, from youth leagues to the big leagues. The easy-to-use and affordable technology makes the platform accessible to every player at every level, all the metrics and features used at the highest level. See pitchlogic.com for more information. Uh, Mark, first off, uh, good mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, I trust. Uh, yeah, are you Ate a, too much. Are you a, yeah. Well, I mean, that's just kind of... What's yeah. um, quickly... Listeners mm-hmm. that listen to the last episode know that we did a little Thanksgiving segment. Myself, Darren Hedrick, Dub Williams yep. from Kentucky. So we won't go too long on Thanksgiving here. But uh, are you a turkey or ham guy? First
1: off, turkey. Okay, turkey, yeah, me too, all the way. Yep.
0: Uh, what's your favorite side?
1: Probably hash brown casserole.
0: Oh, really? That's okay. That's off the board.
1: Yeah, there. it's um, yeah. And, and basically it has, uh, like, um, cream cheese in it, you know, with, uh, with obviously hash browns and then you can put, you know, shredded cheese. Um, there's some, you know, the chicken, uh, was it cream chicken soup in it? It's, it's, it sets up really well. It's got a kind of crunchy on top. It's, it's, it's been a staple in our house for a long time. And it was, it made an appearance again this year and was really popular.
0: Okay. I mean, that sounds delicious as someone with lactose intolerance. However, that sounds yeah. like an absolute nightmare.
1: Yeah. It's a uh, it's a miss for you.
0: Cream cheese, cream of chicken soup. I mean, all of those, yeah, all lot. of those words are a, a just a no, a no go for, for it Joe is. there.
1: Um And it's very filling. It's a yeah. heavy well,
0: I mean, I'm a big mashed potatoes guy. That's pretty filling mm-hmm. too. I like to imagine as I'm just like shoveling mashed potatoes down my gullet, that they're filling mm-hmm. up in my stomach, kind of like wet sand on the beach, you know, and you kind of pile yeah. it on top of each other. I mean, can you do uh, sweet potato, kind of,
1: sweet potato casserole with the you do the marshmallows and the and all that here's stuff? Here's the thing: top. this
0: was a big discussion at at my Thanksgiving. I, I went out of mm-hmm. town for Thanksgiving, oh. uh, went to Virginia Beach for Thanksgiving with some with some folks, and so we. We uh, made a reservation at a place that was doing like a Thanksgiving buffet, which was really nice. We didn't have to cook. We didn't have to clean. It was wonderful. Life was very good. Um, So, But we actually talked about this because they were serving a sweet potato casserole with marshmallows on top. There was some Mm -hmm. like um, brown sugar kind of on top that gave it a little bit of that texture. I like the concept, sure. (laughs) But as part of the Thanksgiving meal, I'm kind of out on it. Because, oh. and see, and my stepmom um, has always made that as part of our, now she doesn't do the marshmallows, but they do like, like a brown sugar kind of crust thing on top and brown sugar topping, I should say. And she's always like, oh, I don't know why you guys don't eat more of this. Like, this is just like dessert. And I'm like, well, exactly. I I don't, I don't it's want a bite sweet. of dessert and yeah. then a bite of turkey and then a bite of dessert and yeah. then a bite of turkey. It just doesn't, there's like a dissonance in my brain about it. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of out on it. Um, it sounds like you are, you are all the way in on it.
1: Yeah. I like it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. are you taking pumpkin pie or the field? Pie wise?
1: The field. Pecan would yep. be my favorite.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a Texan, uh, pecan pie uh, staple of my Thanksgiving yeah. <laughs> growing up less so lately, Absolutely. but, uh, certainly of my, I'm, I'm a pumpkin pie guy. So yeah. I, that's ten, tends to be where I go. Um, it sits atop the, um, uh, on the throne of pies for Thanksgiving yeah. for me. And so.
1: And my heart grandmother, heart used to make a, she had a, you know, a homemade pecan pie recipe. Mm-hmm. My mom makes it now. So I've actually had the same recipe is for as long or for every Thanksgiving for as long as I can remember, I've had the same pie. So, yeah, you know, it's I don't know how much is nostalgia and how much is, do I really like it, but I eat it every year.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Nostalgia probably plays a role. I, I saw pecan pie being made one time, just a, Staggering amount of sugar goes, oh, <laughs> goes yes. into a pecan oh, pie you. when you're when you're making it from from scratch, as I'm sure is the case with all pies, frankly. Mm-hmm. But it's just like you look at a pecan pie and it, because maybe it's just because it's nutty. Like I don't I don't associate it with being not, like syrup. that sugary. Yes, right.
1: yeah. yeah but
0: oof, my goodness. Okay. Anyway, so we will move on from from our Thanksgiving uh, topic here. I hope everybody listening had a had a good Thanksgiving. However, it is. You celebrate my family uh, in years where I've gone back to, to like my parents' house for Thanksgiving, which wasn't the case this year. They often do a non traditional Thanksgiving. So, like, they've done uh, Mexican food uh, on occasion where they do enchiladas and tamales and um, et cetera, et cetera, Mexican rice and you know, queso and all that stuff. There's been years where we've done like seafood um, for Thanksgiving, like seafood boils and stuff like that. So, yeah. we, we, to we tend that. to go off the board sometimes. Yes.
1: Yeah, like Christmas Day, we would have a big shrimp bowl, you know, and have yeah. a bunch of people over. And I feel like that is like a Gulf. that is kind and of and a Gulf Coast thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because half of the fun doing the shrimp bowl is all the cooking, right? The socializing and you know trying to decide when it's ready and how long you know doing the timing for everything. So mm-hmm. you know, it's it's mm-hmm. you know it's, it's an event as much as it is a meal.
0: Mark and I, a couple of Gulf Coastal elites, cutting it up on the podcast here about
1: seafood boils.
0: All right. Let's, um Let's let's talk about the sec tournament. As I laid out at the top, um, the sec tournament is going to have to change. Let me say that nothing has to happen. I think Mark and I anticipate it changing. I think the coaches that we talk to anticipate it changing. Yep. Mark and I can confirm they are actively discussing it among coaches in the sec. That is a, a big topic of conversation right now. Um, some coaches, by the way, some coaches care more. We will name no names. Some care a lot more than others. <laughs> like, there are some who really want to get in the weeds with you about it and want to like permutate with you. And mm-hmm. there are some that are like, yeah, man, just tell me what the format is and it's, it's whatever. Yeah. Like, when I do don't I, care when about do I that. need
1: to show up. Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, so it is just kind of funny to see the differences there. But um, so we anticipate it changing. And there are a couple things before I throw it to you, Mark, just mm-hmm. to kind of set the table here is, is one, is it? I mean, let's be real about this. Like, a big factor here is I think there's also an eventuality where we're looking at an expanded NCAA tournament, right? And so I think that even, even with 64 teams, there is a concern among SEC coaches and the league more generally that, mm-hmm. hey, we might, if we just put 12 teams in this thing, who's to say we won't have, when we have a 16-team league, who's to say we won't have 13 viable at large resumes now, that's a lot, but with the way the sport has kind of gone, yeah. I don't think that's totally off the table. And we've discussed this before. It's somewhat reminiscent of discussion that was had, whatever it was, fifteen years ago, about an eight-team SEC tournament. And, well, wait a minute, we have nine teams that are deserving, mm-hmm. or ten, or whatever, and that was an impetus behind the tournament expanding. Then, so we're having that same discussion now. Um, but if the NCAA tournament goes to 72, that obviously makes that even more pertinent because now you're you're creating a little more wiggle room there for for more teams to get in. So that's that. And then I think that one of the most interesting things about this for me, and um, I won't get us too off track here, but one of my most, one of the big picture topics that that I always find interesting is just what are conference tournaments for. Like, what is the point? And that sounds existential, and I don't necessarily mean it that way. I just mean it more in terms of like conference tournaments serve a lot of masters. So you're serving the fans, right? It's kind of a celebration of like, hey, come on down and hang out for a week and sure, you'll watch your team's games, but you'll, you know, you'll buy a day pass and you'll see your rival play and you'll see a couple other games and you know, then you'll you'll hang out in town, and then you'll you know it's like an event, right? I mean, you come you come to town, and you're at the SEC tournament. You're not just there to see your teams' games, and so there, there's that. But you're you're also serving the teams, right? You're you're creating a, a competition for them to determine who's going to go to the NCAA tournament broadly, but you're also serving the conference. Let's be real; like, mm-hmm. even if you don't, not every tournament or championship makes money but you'd like to come as at least as close to breaking even as you can. And we've seen the attendance of the sec tournament, like there's money to be made there. So that's, it's hard to serve all those masters and come out with a format that works for everyone. And so I'll use that to set the table Mark and, and kind of take us through your piece and kind of what you see as, um, potential formats and just wherever you want to take it, go ahead. I'm just going to throw the ball to you in the post yeah. and, and clear out. Well,
1: yeah, well, well, first off to kind of answer your question of well, why do we have a tournament? Right. Um, we'll look at the conferences that over the years have not had a tournament and there's a, you know, and everyone is shifting, right. To, 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 ha- to set up their own conference tournaments. And the reason for that is to give opportunities for wins to, to those teams and against good competition, because depending on how the schedule falls, you could be playing a team that's actually going to hurt your RPI or hurt your resume, you know, down the stretch, uh, that final weekend where if you have a tournament, you continue to win. If your league's good enough, obviously that's going to help you. And, you know, for our audience, the SEC certainly. Uh, you, you're going to play SEC teams, your resume is going to improve. So then the question becomes, okay, we're going to have a tournament, but what does it need to look like? Well, in the old days when we had, you know, an eight team tournament, uh, if you were ninth, you were 10th in the, in the conference, there was a stigma attached to that. And I do think that, that there was, you know, I heard conversation where you don't even make your conference tournament. How can you play for a national title? Right? So, So the answer to that was to expand the tournament. Okay. And, and that's why we had, you know, we have the 12 team uh, format today with 14 teams. The bottom two don't make it. Well, with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, if you keep the same format, you've got four teams um, who who would be left at home. And you, you might say, well, so what? Okay. They're the, they're the bottom four. It doesn't matter. Well, with the consolidation of power, okay, across the country and really all of the sports, but college baseball is no exception, um, the, the conferences at the top of the sport are just going to get stronger, right? As you see the expansion, you see the realignment, um, they're not taking programs, you know, that, that that are not winning programs, right? Everybody, the, the good teams are moving upward, all right? Or or the good programs that spend the most, uh, financial resources to be successful. Those are moving upward. As a result, you're going to people who you know who hate these big conferences. Uh, you're you're gonna, I mean, you're gonna even have more fodder to to rail against because they're going to continue to to, to be more and more powerful because they have more resources uh, for all the obvious reasons, right? We're you know, just making more money. NIL transfer portal you know, student athlete opportunity and and experience, all of those are are, are in the favor of the large conference teams. So where does this all go, right? With a 16-team league, all, you know, the coaches that we talk to, no one wants to keep it at 12. Um, So what do you do, right? So the thought is, well, you could try to do like 14 and leave two at home, but the the math on the, the, the bracket doesn't really work great with a 14-team tournament. If you were going to do 14, you would have just you would have already done it right with a 14-team league. So the thought is, well, let's do 16 and invite everyone. It'd be all inclusive. But you know, it's not, it's not just as simple as, you know, you know, adding another day. It already starts on Tuesday. It's you know, Tuesday to Sunday, it's a marathon as it is. There's no appetite to start the thing on Monday. So how do you, how do you fit this in? And that's, that's really the debate right now. I I don't believe that there's a debate on should all 16 be included? Uh, You know, at least not a serious one. The debate is on what's the best way to have a conference tournament. Can you don't have enough days to do pool play? You don't have enough. Uh, days to do a you know the double elimination that we're all used to, it's gonna have to be some form of single elimination, or maybe some sort of mixed format where it's single elimination to a point, and then it shifts right to double elimination, or vice versa, double elimination and shifts to single. Right, so that's really the only way this is gonna work in the time allotted. Okay, so I'll pause here. Joe, is there is there anything? Uh, to this point that that I've left out or that we need to expand on before we go into the possible <clears throat> formats.
0: And not that you've left out, but it. <clears throat> so many of the, you mentioned, well, you, you can't really do pool play. You can't do this, can't do that. And that's kind of what I was getting at, which is just like, there are some logical answers that get taken off the table pretty quickly for reasons that are kind of specific to the calendar or specific to college. Like if this is pro sports, you can just move the calendar wherever you want right? I mean, yeah. like, you know, Make in the pandemic, the, <laughs> the NBA like had two seasons in one, right? I mean, it just like, so we have these constraints here. We understand that, um, you know, pool play isn't obvious. It was 16 teams, four and four, boom, boom. You play three pool play games that determines your. you can go straight to the semifinals and then go from there, single elimination, right? But it's like, we don't a we don't have enough time for that, but then yep. it's like another thing. On, Here's another constraint, yep. right? So if, if this were just about competition, you could say, and, and look, there's logistics in it, but let, let's just suspend disbelief a little bit. Okay, we'll play pools A and B or one and two or whatever they label them, um in Hoover, and then we'll play pools C and D at Regions mm-hmm. Field in Birmingham. And then we'll play the whole, we'll play the semifinals and finals in Hoover because we want to give them the, because of our relationship with Hoover, we want to give them the best games. Okay. okay like again, if this was all about competition, great. Like that, that's cool. Um, and I've actually been an advocate before of like, we should probably talk about split location conference tournaments, but mm-hmm. therein lies the issue of, okay, but then we start to push up against the business of this. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying it's anything nefarious. It's just reality. You know, if I'm, if I'm the Hoover Met, I'm going to go, whoa, 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 mm-hmm. Hold on. <laughs> right. And they have every right to, we've got a contract. So th- that's why I say like, this is where the serving all these masters comes in is just like so many of these potential options that would be cool. Or, I mean, heck 16 teams, single elimination would be a different kind of cool, but okay, yeah. well now we're lopping off a day of the tournament and right. like, they're not going to want that. Right. So, so many of the options that could be neat or interesting or innovative, were just kind of in a box. And that's kind of what makes, I mean, frankly, it's what makes it worthy of writing an article about is because Mm -hmm. we're having to work inside these constraints. And so that's where we start to get into like, what I would describe as the next second and third level ideas from some of the more basic ones that we just can't do for one reason or another.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And I do think that part part of this is is trying to to continue an event that's been really popular and that that people plan you know they make the plans to come every year um so how do you how do you not disrupt anything and continue the momentum you know that that this event has enjoyed i mean people name podcast after the after the you know the 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 journey to Hoover. or what, what i we that. call it?
0: I've heard that. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's road to Hoover. What, what was I the term? Remember. I forget. I don't remember. I'll look it yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that but I mean that, that's what you're trying to to do here. So you know the multi-venue has its has its challenges, and also you know single elimination all the way through has its challenges as well, because um, you're gonna have fewer games, so you sell you know fewer tickets, there's fewer revenue, and you can have a lot of teams gonna show up and play one game, right? You can have you know eight of them, right? So which I mean um, it sucks for the fans,
0: right? I mean yeah, you play right. on day one, you kind of know that's the case. But if you're you know an LSU fan, you win the league, hypothetically, mm-hmm. like you're kind of expecting to be around a couple of days, but if you get upset on day one, like, well, that's all she wrote, you know, yeah. back to back to Baton Rouge we go, and like right that that sucks.
1: <laughs> and if and if you're the one seed and you get upset by the 16 seed. I mean, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's just kind of an, an, an interesting scenario that we don't face today. So you could do that, and you could do the 116 and 215 and do the S curve all the way through, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, what I expect will happen will be to give the teams that need games more opportunities to play. Okay, because honestly, if you're one of those one through four, you—I mean—you're not playing for anything typically uh, in, in Hoover. Um, you know, may, maybe you want to play a little bit to get some guys to work. You don't want to go two weeks without playing, but playing a game or playing two games is probably about right. Okay, so you you, you don't really really want to do that. Um, so I do think that you know you could come up with a scenario where you had you know, like nine versus 16 on the first day, right? Those bottom eight uh, teams and they would play each other, right? Nine, 16, 10, 15, 11, 14, 12, 13, that you, you see where I'm going there. And then each one of those would advance and then they would play the next four teams, right? Those four winners would play five through eight. Okay. So you're getting more opportunities against similar teams you're getting a chance to kind of, you know, teams that you jockeyed with in the standings, you're close together. You get to play those teams and, and with an opportunity to help your resume to move forward. And maybe you're taking their spot or maybe you both get in. Right. If, if you can both, both do well um, c- compared to the other bowl teams. So and then then once you do there, then you invite, you know, the third day is when one through four shows up. OK, so you those you know, those teams at the bottom would have had two opportunities to, to get into that, you know, that final eight. Okay. So, so if I'm making sense here, you're giving an opportunity for teams that need to play, you're letting them play and then everyone else. Okay. you you still get to come to the party, but you're going to, you, you get to show up late. You make an entrance at the end and, and maybe still play for the title. Okay. Those you and you've earned it based on how you've done all year. So then it would be interesting to me because because then you're getting to, you know, you you get those that third day finishes, and then you're getting into basically a winner's bracket. Um, and if you wanted to, you could just play it on out, right? But what and 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 finish it in you know a day early. It maybe finish it on Saturday or either start it a day later, right? But what I would suggest is then shifting to a double elimination and giving people, you know, having your best attended days, your Friday, your Saturday, your Sunday, having those games be super meaningful with ideally your, your best teams who have had the best year, have them facing off against each other, either in a winner's bracket game, you know, that, that winner take all kind of game or uh, an elimination game. Right. So you're at the end of the week, you got some teams with some momentum you know, probably prob people can start showing up through the week as they continue to win. And and I think going shifting to double elimination there, uh, once once you get to the bottom four, it's kind of your old school regional right format at that point. Um, and then, you know, then you take it into Sunday and whoever's left would would, would be champ. So I think, you know, there's some advantages to that. Um, Obviously, some disadvantages in that you're going to have a lot of. You're still going to have a lot of people who are going to show up and they're going to play one game. But with 16 team league, uh, I don't really know a way around that unless you're going to go multi venue, or you're, or are going to, you know, add days? And I don't think there's an appetite for either. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. Yeah, I think it.
0: <clears throat> what you ultimately kind of land on is is the the. the you know, what, what you put forward is, is your favorite ideas. I think it does a good job of kind of giving everybody what they want here. It's a compromise, right? Yeah. So if you, if you need the games, you're going to get the games. If you're a team that's won a bunch, it it reduces your risk for a, I mean, injuries, obviously, but then Uh fatigue really. Right. Uh But also from a, from a standpoint of the top seeds, you also will more or less be able to stay on a weekend schedule, right? Mm -hmm. So the previous, let's assume the previous weekends series will be Thursday through Saturday like they are now, but then you'll basically have the same time next week. You'll start up and then the next week for regionals. So we know how much coaches love to be able to stay on schedule and have routines and so on and so forth. Top seeds would be able to, to do that. I also think it reduces the likelihood of a situation where look, you can, you can kind of get caught out in these tournaments with, let me try to think of the right example here. Um, Well, Auburn was a five seed last year in the tournament, right? So they had to play on day one, but were in pretty good shape. By that point, we thought like probably hosting, mm-hmm. you know, things would have had to really get wonky for them not to, right? But they win their opening game. Well, now they're stuck and I'm using air quotes for those who are, who are just listening and don't see the video. Now they're stuck in Hoover for two more days. And and like, okay, they're an in-state team. They could bust back to Auburn. It really wasn't that big of a deal. But pick any other team that would have had to like travel a long way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get end up stuck in, in Hoover for a couple of extra days that ultimately matters zero for so. your postseason positioning. And so you you have kind of reduced some of that downside risk for teams to – because I mean that's a storyline every year, not just in the SEC, but every conference tournament for some of these teams. And I remember last year, Tony Vitello for Tennessee, kind of after they lost saying like, you know what, like we just, I'm, you know, we're looking forward to getting home and practicing and getting these guys some, some rest and, you know, kind of like setting everything up for regionals. And then you have other teams that, you know, kept their pedal to the metal. And look, you want to lift a trophy at the end of the week. I, I get that. I'm not discounting that, but mm-hmm. you do sometimes kind of since coaches say that they end up saying things like, we're going to, we're going to try to win, but not at all costs. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, that's like the coded language yeah. of like, look, you know, we can kind of take it or leave it. Right. right Cause
1: there's a bigger it's goal like, the following week. Right.
0: Right. And so and, I say mm-hmm. all that to say the formats you lay out, kind of allow for a scenario of like there's less of that, like kind of where we got one foot in and one foot out. It, mm-hmm. it gives you an opportunity where the off ramps are such that we'll have fewer instances where they the motivations seem to be kind of unbalanced, yeah. if you will.
1: Right. And the, the top teams are not going to have mm-hmm. to play five games in five days. Right. I mean, technically I guess you could play f- four but that would be the absolute most if you're one of those top four seeds and, and it's double elimination. So, so, you know, the, so I do think that, uh, that, you know, you can, I mean, look at Vanderbilt last year went won the conference tournament and then who knows, maybe that took something out of them in regional play. Right. So uh, I, I would want to have it. So if, if you're playing all these games um, to, to get to the championship, that you're really playing for something, right? You're trying to improve your stock. Bandy had nothing to play for, other than pride and kudos to them. I mean, they they, they kicked butt and got the trophy. But but you would like to see it uh, if, if somebody's going to go on a run like this, it's you know they're trying to host or they're trying to get in the field or you know whatever. Other than yeah, you know, it's already sewn up, man. We're just we're just here. We we we're just playing for momentum and pride. So. I I do think you know that's the balance that that people are trying to strike and haven't really found it. There are, there are other you know formats and variations of this and and others that that we can look at, but um, that that was the one I landed on. Basically, the the premise is getting as many games as you can for the teams that need to play those games.
0: Yep. So yeah, if if you've not read it, go read Mark's piece on these SEC tournament formats. I also be curious if there are some. I know there are some, some real wonks out there that kind of nerd out about this kind of stuff. If you have like a really, excuse yeah. my French batshit crazy idea, like please send it to us <laughs> because I just be fat. I mean, does it not going to happen probably, but, but I'd love to, to hear some just like wild ideas about how to do this. So, um, send them our way, you know, where to find us on, on social media. So uh, send those to us. If you've got like a, just a totally bonkers concept, cause we, we'd love to, uh, you know, because we read about it and de- maybe debate it on the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. takes one or no one. So, um, all right, Mark, let's move on to talking a little bit about Mississippi state, a team that here's a segue hasn't been in Hoover the last two years, mm-hmm. um, much to their chagrin. And you don't have to tell anybody in Starkville. That's not up to the, the standard that, that they hold mm-hmm. themselves to. Uh, I wrote the Mississippi state fall report, uh, which, which went up uh, just the other day. You, you actually contributed It was a co-byline. You contributed reporting for that as well. So we kind of tag teamed it and, yeah. But you also had a separate piece uh, that really focused on the pitching side of things for Mississippi State, and that's understandable. I think we all understand that that was... There were uh, several different issues for Mississippi State the last couple Mm -hmm. of years, and and last year in particular. But pitching was the big one. Team ERA and SEC play like above 950, which is just unfathomable. Overall, ERA was just above 7, which is bad enough as it is, but 950-something is just... Just unbelievable, and and so a lot of things went wrong there. Things really snowballed on them. Defense also wasn't good, but really the, the pitching feeds into that, right? I mean, the ball was just there were always runners on base, the ball yep. was always in play. <laughs> um, so that, that's going to hurt your defense, right? You're just going to get a lot more chances, sure. so um, or you're going to press and try to make plays you don't need to make, yada yada yada. Um, so I think we understand why that is, but but Mark, I'll, I'll throw it to you. What did you what did you focus on in this piece? And, and what did you take away from where Mississippi State on the mound is, or what we're going to need to see in 2024 for them to be markedly
1: better? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, Justin Parker's a new pitching coach, had a lot of success at South Carolina. So a lot of these same guys that that showed flashes a year ago, but just didn't have the consistency, just weren't, weren't productive enough, uh, they return. And the problem, I mean, th- th- there's some really good stuff here. So there's potential. It's just, you know, how much pitchability are you going to get? And and I think that's that's going to be, you know, what everyone's watching for this first you know, month of the season before SEC play is, you know, how sharp are they? And do, do they look like they're going to be able to just hold their own, you know, in – in SEC play, because I think their offense is going to be good enough. Their offense is at, at worst SEC average, which makes you among the best offenses in the country with, with a chance to be, you know, re- really special. So, um, you know, obviously, Jerron's always changes is a guy everyone's going to focus on. He's the the both handed pitcher, um, really, really big stuff, especially right handed. He is a draft eligible sophomore. So he's one of these guys that that's going to get a lot of interest you know just one just because of how unique you know having a guy who's that good a pitcher from both you know both sides but just also they need him to, to take that take that step forward and and he's certainly talented enough to do it uh so I see who uh is it Colby Holcomb was would be another guy that yeah. uh, that is just having an incredible fall just taking a big jump is really flourished, you know, with, with Parker. He, you know, he's, he looks the part. I mean, he's central casting for an SEC Friday night guy. Uh, can he, can, can he do it, you know, once the lights come on um, and, and, and they have a lot of, a lot of different, you know, different options. Uh, Bradley Lofton's a guy who, who, who pitched really well in limited action as a freshman was more of a midweek guy and had some, had some injury things late in the year. And, um, but he's, I mean, it's big time stuff and he could, he can be a, he could be a guy. Right. And then, you know, bringing in, you know, junior, I mean, uh, D one transfers, um, we call Steven Carson. Is it Carson Ligon? How do you say that? Ligon. uh, Mm -hmm. Ligon? Okay. So, yeah, I, I mean, uh, Ligon was at Miami was a weekend starter for them. A lot of experience, uh, Steven was at Purdue, a uh, weekend starter for them. So guys who had pitched in big games had been the guy, right. So, um, so it gives you some options, uh, for, for, for Mississippi state. And then, you know, I, I think it, because you've, you've got some depth, you know, the problem the last couple of years has been injuries, right. And so maybe, you know, you know everybody tends to have some sort of injury, at least minor or major sometime through the year uh, maybe they've got enough to withstand it right if a guy goes down for a couple of weeks it's not the end of the world because you you, you had some someone ready to, to to elevate so I think that's going to be the, the key offensively they're going be they're going to be strong and I think I think they'll be a little better defensively as well um it, it's it's a team with that needs some good things to happen to it they need to get off to a good start. Um, and then SEC play, they open against the defending national champions LSU. So, um, so you need to be, you know, you, you need to be having some su- some success uh, to have some momentum heading into SEC play because that's going to be a monster series with so much riding on it, just from the from the symbolism of of, of that whole weekend.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a chance for them to be better defensively, but but what I will say. I mean, they do have some key guys. So and Colton Ledbetter was a good bat, but also was a true center fielder. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sounds like Connor Heisick, who was a transfer from VCU, yeah. who last year didn't play a ton, is going to get a crack at center field. Now, maybe that doesn't stick, but he certainly sounds to me like they're going to give him a shot at it. And he's a yep. converted infielder. And, and maybe he'll be great at it. I don't I don't know. But that is certainly a question, right? Um, you know, how good is David Mershon full-time at shortstop? Or is it Dylan Cup? right? Does right. Dylan cup, and he is a plus defender. Is he ready for the speed of the sec? Like a lot of the things that I've read about him and seen from him, it suggests mm-hmm. that yes is the answer, but you know, we'll have to wait and see on that. And then behind the plate, Ross Highfield probably going to get a lot of the reps. Now they did bring in some veteran mm-hmm. help behind the plate. So if things get, cause Highfield is kind of thought of as an offensive catcher yeah. rather than a defensive guy. So you could maybe move him somewhere else just to get his bat in the lineup and and catch Johnny long. Who's a a pit transfer or they've got a Juco guy whose name escapes me, but um, you could, so you could do some other things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's a chance they're better defensively, but I also think they still have questions there. And when I look at the mound, because that is the biggest thing they're going to, they're going to get at least on paper, they're going to be healthier, which you like, I think it's good for the bullpen. They're going to get stone Simmons back Brooks Mm -hmm. auger. In that mix, and if those two guys are as good as advertised, if you know as good as we saw in the times we saw them on the mound, those are a couple of guys who can really handle the back end and can shorten uh-huh. games for you. So that that's a, a big positive there. Um, just getting a new voice in the dugout um, with Justin Parker, I think that's helpful. The proofs in the pudding with him as well. Did a nice job at Indiana. Did a nice job uh, at South Carolina. So there's that, but my big picture concern with the pitchers though at least on on paper is that the guys who have the stuff to miss bats aren't in the strike zone and the guys who are in the strike zone don't have the stuff that misses bats right mm-hmm. and so that's that is way overly simplistic but you look at colby holcomb you look at sanja you look at bradley lofton Those guys have two things in common from the numbers we saw last year. Anyway, big time stuff, Mm -hmm. big walk totals. (laughs) And I think you can coach some of that out of guys. Like I'm not saying that can't get better. Um, But we know last year, sec strike zones pretty small. Mm -hmm. And so if you're spraying it a little bit, that strike zone gets smaller. We kind of know that's just like a human element thing is it's hard. You know, you, you tend to not get as much leeway if you're not, consistent with your strike throwing and so does that strike zone feel like it's about as big as a coffee can for for pitchers is is that going to be a thing and then they bring in Cal Steven and, and Carson Ligon who are, are guys that you know um have had success and Cal Steven pitched well in the cape over the summer I saw him with my own eyes but and on paper their stuff is pretty good you know Cal Steven's a fastball low 90s he'll touch a, a mid 90s Ligon kind of the same thing Cal Steven also really looks the part physically. It's like 6'4", 225, um, really smooth delivery. But you look at the numbers, you look kind of look under the hood at their numbers, and neither of them really misses bats. You know, last year, neither of them had like a big breaking ball that had a 40 45% whiff rate. They were all low 30% whiff rates, which is average to slightly below average. N- neither of them have like a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, right? I mean hmm. – they throw strikes. I mean, so that is something. But if, if you're going to have to give in to SEC hitters, I mean, neither of them have pitched in the SEC. ACC, very good league, not throwing shade. But neither of them have pitched against the SEC. And you and I know, if, if you're having to throw a lot of strikes like over the fat part of the plate, like you better oh. be Paul Skeens if you're going to get it past people. Um, not saying they can't. Not saying they won't get better. I'm just saying that like when I look at this, that's where kind of my concern is. They've got guys with stuff. We got to get them in the zone. They've got guys who are in the zone, but they don't necessarily have the best stuff, right? The one mm-hmm. exception I will say is Nate Dome. <laughs> Nate Dome yeah. in the zone. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. And he's he's gonna be a key guy. I think the best version of Mississippi State is if Nate Dome can be a starter. Right. Because he he strikes me as a guy who let's assume he can start. He could be a to me, he could be a high-end Friday dude in the SEC. Mm-hmm. But there are some question marks there, right? They tried that a little last year and it went okay, but then he got kind of banged up. So we never really got to see the extension. And they of just that. had
1: nothing behind him, right? So he, right. you know, if you had him at the end of the game, you felt pretty good about that that game. But if you started him, I mean, he gives you four or five innings and then what? Right. Yeah. And then right. the, the right. walls came crumbling down. So I think the, the big picture for them is there are more options. Um, if they have the rash of injuries they honestly have you know more than enough guys they feel capable of of stepping forward it's just they've got to do it right and that's that's we aren't going to know we can sit here and talk about it but we aren't going to know and probably until about april right once you've gone through three or four sec series and you you start to figure out all your roles and everybody's stretched out then you'll have an idea um Till then, it's, it's all just, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's all just wait and see, you know, and, and until that point.
0: There are a couple things just to touch on the lineup a little bit, because it, it deserves mentioning. We've both kind of alluded to it, but I mean, Hunter Hines, could he be a 30 home run guy? Like, I think he could honestly mm-hmm. set the Cape Cod League home, uh, wood bat home run record over the summer. He hit 22 last year. So it's not like we're asking him to double his output. So, you know, I think that's on the table for him. He's an SEC player of the year type of guy. If state is good and he puts up a monster year, he's in that discussion. And then I feel like one of the one of the big keys is, is Dakota Jordan what he was last year? Which by the end of the year was a very yeah. solid, you know, very good offensive contributor. Or is he also an SEC, all conference SEC player of the year type of guy? Because talent wise, that's in there. Um, mm-hmm. Can he just put it all together to to be that guy? But I, I don't I don't talk to anyone who doesn't think that his talent is on that level. It's just a matter of can he, can he put it all together. And if he does that, if Hines is Hines, if he does that, if Dylan Cup is ready from day one or just really ready by SEC play, let's say, mm-hmm. it's, you know, Amani Larry's a nice player, like Ross Highfill, lots of power there. Like, again, the lineup, I think is going to be at bare minimum, perfectly fine. And mm-hmm. at best could be one of the best three or four in the conference. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that's a lot of pressure, <laughs> right. Um, for that offense, like last year in the games they won, it was like, we got to really score and they did sometimes it just wasn't enough. So I, I, I could really buy into this Mississippi state lineup being really, really good based on some of those contingencies. But what I'd like to see more is just that lineup, just be what they are and have the pitching and defense improve enough to where they end up having a lot of balance. That's just like a easier way to live. Um, and we'll see, obviously we'll just kind of have to see. And an interesting subplot of this as we move towards next season is that Ole Miss is kind of in a similar spot. Now their yeah. problems are a little more balanced, right? Like their pitching wasn't as bad, but their offense also wasn't as good as Mississippi States. So they kind of like met them in the middle. Um, and they're turning over a lot in the lineup. Um, Well, I shouldn't say their offense wasn't as good. I mean, I guess that's up for debate. You know, I I shouldn't have been so dismissive of that. But regardless, um, they're losing a lot on offense. So I I think we can assume on paper State's offense probably a little better. Um, But have a lot of the same issues. And it's really, really hard for me to believe Mike Bianco is going to have two bad teams in a row. Of course, I also thought it would be kind of impossible for this version of Mississippi state to have two bad years in a row. And yet here we are. So, um, that, but that will be something to watch. I need to do some reading up on Ole Miss. Um, I don't have that fall report Our our friend and colleague here and fit has that fall report. So that'll be coming out at some point in the coming days. But, um, so I'll, I'll just need to kind of like really dig into that, but, um, that's going to be an interesting, because you know, it, it kind of burns both of those teams, the idea that, you know, one of them could leave the other behind next year and, and all that. So um, I'll be interested to kind of dig into that and, and see which team I feel more confident in, in, in 2024, because as I stand right now, I'm not really sure what answer I'd give you to be honest. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's such a weird deal because, um, you know, we didn't see the whole Mississippi state plummet falling two years ago. You know, we didn't see that. Uh, we didn't see Ole Miss, you know, dropping back like they did last year. Will there be someone else this year who does it, right, that, that no one's expecting, no one's thinking about? Because for Ole Miss and Mississippi State to take a jump up, somebody's got to come back down, okay? So maybe not to the levels that that, that they are, but, you know, you, you, there's only so many wins, right? There's a winner and loser in every game. So, so this is going to be fascinating as we try to figure this, figure these uh, these teams out these programs out, uh, not only for this year, but, you know, as we, we move forward, uh, college baseball is changing so much. The landscape, all the consolidation of the power is heading in the smaller number of leagues. Um, so there, there are only so many wins to be had and only so many places in the sun for, for all these programs that they're all pushing towards. So uh, lots of fun stuff, you know, as, as we as we try to figure this out.
0: Conference play with respect to the NCAA tournament is really nothing more than a math problem, mm-hmm. right? Every game's a zero sum game, yep. and so when you look at okay, if you're if you had you know what it, what did State have last year in conference nine wins? I mean, the funny thing is four wins doesn't sound like much, and I guess it's yeah. not, but like that's all they really were away from being a bubble team, <laughs> right? Yeah. Is four wins? I mean, I guess their overall record wouldn't have been great, but like you know. But regardless, so, okay, you need to add four wins. Well, yeah, you know, okay. If Ole Miss is better. Where are they coming from? Right. You're going to yeah. Alabama, Auburn, LSU, AM, and and then whoever you play in the East, which I, I don't have in front of me, but I could guarantee that's tough too. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, you know, you got to find wins somewhere. And so four wins doesn't sound like much, but I don't know, man. <laughs> like you're taking four wins away from someone and that's always a hard mm-hmm. thing to to kind of game out. So. That will certainly be an interesting subplot to follow as we head towards 2024. But I think that is an episode that's going to do it for this edition of highway to Hoover, a production of sec extra at D one baseball.com programming note, uh, Mark, uh, for his mysterious day job, uh, is going to be out of town next week. So I will be doing a, not a solo episode cause woof, uh, talking this long by myself while I could do it. I don't think anyone wants that. So I will have a guest of some sort on, and I'm yeah. not, I'm, I'm not going to bluff you guys. I don't even know who it's going to be yet, but we'll, we'll yeah. figure it out. Joe's going to have a guest. So you will not see Mark next week. I know everyone is. Load uh, talking management. About that. We're calling it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> load management. Mark is a franchise player. So we need to, we need to monitor his minutes. Strong so for the, yes. For the yeah. 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 Much like the stars sitting out the NBA in season tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark is sitting out next week. So I will, I will carry the load in his stead and we will have a, We will have a guest, but we will continue to bring, regardless of who is involved, we will continue to bring Highway to Hoover to you weekly as we get into the regular season, which don't look now is like 80 days away, roughly, something like that. So coming fast. So uh, yeah, no kidding. Don't you absolutely do not. Um, Anyway, that'll do it for this issue of Highway to Hoover. Uh, Thank you to Pitch Logic for sponsoring this and every episode of the show. Thank you, Mark, as always, for joining me. And thank you, the listener, for listening. We'll talk to you all soon.
1: The Highway to Hoover podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast
0: Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.